You're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm Jacob Sheckman, and we're part of Your Future is Our Business, a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students ages 10 to 18 explore careers by connecting them to adults through programs such as college and career expos, career panels, and other work-based learning activities. You're listening to our show, What to Be, where we interview and highlight the career journeys of inspirational people in Santa Cruz County. If you've ever thought, how did they really get that job? Or what is that job even actually like? Then keep on listening. We would like to remind our listeners that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Future is Our Business. Please note that the information provided during this program does not reflect this career in its entirety. I'm Jacob Sheckman, and today we're speaking with Mark Stone, the Assembly Member for the Monterey Bay Region. And how did you first get into the position you have now as an Assembly Member? Well, I think it's a little bit longer story than that. Great. Okay. Because this is not, I'm doing something I n- didn't really plan on doing early on. I My career, I think if you look at my resume. You started as an attorney, right? It, yes. Yeah. It probably looks like I've had a hard time keeping a job. So yeah. I don't know why you're asking me <laughs> for career advice. I. I, I did a number of things, including before getting into politics, I was an attorney working in the computer industry, which was great fun and, and interesting. Then in 98, I ran for the school board in Scotts Valley, Scotts Valley Unified School District. Our kids were little, and it was a way I thought of giving back to the community and, and being a part of the community. Sure, I could work in a classroom, but given my legal training, I thought maybe I could help on a policy level. And most people will tell you, most electeds will tell you, don't ever get on a school board because they have long meetings and angry parents and angry teachers and angry kids and lots of demands. And that's true. The meetings can be long and it can be very emotional. But as a school board member, after those long meetings, I could go into a classroom, talk to teachers, talk to kids. And the board I was on, we had a very good working relationship and understood our role in governance of the school district turned out to be one of the most rewarding things I had ever done. And I highly recommend How getting so? on what, a school What do you board. mean? What, what exactly felt rewarding about that? Because we were making policy for a community and for our kids that we could see the benefits of directly. Now, school districts are governed by a very thick educational code. School financing, how school districts are financed in the state of California is very complex. I joke that I've met three people who understand it. <laughs> Probably not exactly true, but almost, because school district financing is is difficult and has been cobbled together really since Prop 13 in trying to, to buoy up a system that the taxation system, the revenue system, dealt a pretty devastating blow when Prop 13 passed. We, we've talked a little bit uh, once before about Prop 13, but can you just give us a reminder of what that was and what you mean by the devastating blow that it had? Well, Proposition 13 limited the amount that properties could be taxed to 1% of their assessed value. Prior to that, and the way most states assess property taxes is they look at what their potential expenditures are going to be, and then they set a tax rate to be able to raise the money annually that they need in order to fund whatever activity they, they needed. School districts did that, and property tax rates were running around 3% at the time. So there was what was called a tax revolt. And because most states fund their school districts on property tax, that when we shut off that valve, when we limited property tax, then school districts were left hanging back in the late 70s and the early 80s. 
This is what you were doing as a uh, member of the board of trustees for yes. the Scotts Valley Unified yeah. School District. And I did that from 98 until 2003. I, I had not really contemplated doing anything more than sitting on a school district. I enjoyed that. But the experience, because I had a broader sense, learned a broader sense of what we could do in the community, how impactful it is to be able to make policy decisions like that for a jurisdiction, the board of supervisors came open in 2003, because then Supervisor Jeff Almquist had been appointed to the bench. This was all an interesting time. It was the recall of Gray Davis. I don't know. I'm not sure what that means. So, okay. So the Gray Davis had been elected governor, uh -huh. and the state had just gone through an energy crisis. Energy costs were spiking. There was real questions. And this was also following deregulation of a lot of the... Uh, energy systems in California. So people were not very happy with him. And there was a ballot measure to recall him in late 2003. That's when Arnold Schwarzenegger was elected to become governor. Davis was recalled. Schwarzenegger was put in. And then the politics of that, as that was happening, Davis was moving forward. Davis, who had been very slow at appointing judgeships, started to move ahead and appoint judgeships and put judge then Judge McAdams on the appellate bench, leaving a vacancy in Santa Cruz County, that was filled by then Supervisor Jeff Almquist, leaving a vacancy on the Board of Supervisors. And I was appointed to fill that seat in November of 2003. I, I threw my hat in the ring to do that because of my experience on the school board. And I thought, hmm, this could be interesting. I wasn't even sure it was something I wanted to do. But I ended up getting the gubernatorial appointment to fill a vacancy. Normally, supervisors, of course, are elected. Uh -huh. But Alquist had one more year on his term when he resigned the board seat to go on the bench to become a judge. So, What he, was your connection there? How, how, did he, how did he find you to- He to... didn't. I, I had heard about this, and some folks had that I knew through uh -huh. the schools had suggested that I run for this. And I thought, mm, I don't know that how interested I was. I wasn't. I didn't know that much about what counties did or even how to approach getting appointed. So I started to talk to a few people in the district and folks who had been connected with the board, of, very interested in who's on the board of supervisors. The balance of the electorate for the fifth district, which is where I was on the board, is the San Lorenzo Valley, and I come out of the city of Scotts Valley. So I didn't have that many contacts with the city, with the unincorporated area of the San Lorenzo Valley. So I had to build those contacts, talking to people. And I had some very key folks. There's a, a gentleman there, Les Gardner, who was very helpful in connecting me to some of the people there. And it's not an election, but the governor then is looking to the local community to make recommendations. And the governor wants to do a bit of a smell test. Okay, if, I'm, <laughs> if I appoint this person, will they embarrass me? And he got enough letters and support for me through this process that I think he had some confidence. And interestingly, and I think this is important, the he appointed me in a document that had, I think, five appointments on it. It was one of his last acts as he was going out the door as governor. So that appointment I got notice was on a Wednesday, and he was done that Friday. Schwarzenegger took over that next Monday. How did- So this was all very last minute. Yeah, which is incredible. How, how did the governor transition affect your role as the supervisor, if didn't, at all. Didn't really, because once I was sworn in and then Governor Davis left, 
My business was with the county. We did get a call that Monday morning, though, from Schwarzenegger's people. They wanted to see the document where I had been sworn in that I had signed. Because if I hadn't been sworn in, I think they would have pulled oh my that gosh. appointment and would have would have gone elsewhere. Gone elsewhere. Who knows where? Yeah. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What to Be at KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. I'm Jacob Sheckman, and today we're speaking with Mark Stone, the assembly member for the Monterey Bay region. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I want to really want to dial this timeline back just a bit. We'll come okay. back more into this legislator stuff, but you joked about how you, you jumped around. It seemed like you weren't sure what you were going to be doing. <laughs> that's that's great for this show, man. I, I want to know what happened... You gra- So you graduated from UC Berkeley with a degree in English. Correct. Awesome. And then uh, you went to Santa Clara University. Well, I went to work. I spent, after graduating college, I yeah. spent a year in Sweden. Okay. Where I was working there and traveling throughout Europe. So I kind of did my grand tour that way. So I learned a lot about Scandinavia, a lot about Europe, got to travel quite a bit. And I came back... And went to work in the defense electronics industry, pricing proposals. So as companies selling product to the government would have to put together price proposals in order to bid on government contracts. And I was one of the team that put together those proposals. Now, as an English major, ultimately a lawyer, numbers not necessarily my game. So I did that for a year or so, then transitioned to a different company, also still doing cost estimating in that sense, but moved into contract administration, which meant I was charged with negotiating those contracts that were This is all pre-law school, right? This is all pre-law school. That was not... Contract administration is a is a good job, but I wanted to do a little bit more than that. So I put myself through law school while I was working. And my law career was, and this is why I sort of joke, because I jumped from company to company and literally career to career, cost estimator, contract administrator, then to be a lawyer once I had gotten through law school. And How did you get into to law in the first place? What what struck you about it that made you go that direction? I think I had always been somewhat interested, not quite sure how to get there. I can remember in junior high, I was part of a group that did a mock trial. You, you're you way too young to remember some of the tragedies around from Vietnam, but the My Lai Massacre. Okay. I was, right. I, we, and we did a mock trial of, of Lieutenant Callie, who was the one who was being prosecuted for that massacre in question, I guess, did he or did he not exceed orders and, and, and all of that. The legal wrangling around that to me was fascinating. The legal questions that we had to think about and to answer what's ethical, what's not ethical, and then how do you argue for what, what the standard should be and then how the facts fit the standard. Sure. So I, I got interested in a lot at that point. My degree, though, in English, just because I liked English literature and I studied romance poets, for crying out loud, and (laughs) Shakespeare and a number of things there. But then getting sort of stumbling into cost estimating and then contract administration, that's very more legal. We were negotiating deals. So I went to law school and through that then went into the computer industry where I was negotiating deals around technology between companies. So I've always been a negotiator Mm -hmm. in dealing with contracts, dealing with transactions between companies. And that was a lot of fun because I got to play with all the toys. I worked for a while at Apple Computer and and had then my own practice for a while doing a number of different things. 
dealing with various companies. And your, that was- Your own law practice. My own law right? practice, yeah. essentially. Yeah, I, I left Apple and went to the Naval Postgraduate School where I taught government contract law and negotiation down there. And that was concurrently while you had your practice, right? And then, well, yes, because most professors have consulting that they do. My consulting, if you will, was a small law practice okay. that I put together. Left the Navy school after about five years, I think, and my law practice then was essentially full-time until 2003 when I set it aside in order to get on the Board of Supervisors because being on the Board of Supervisors here is a full-time job. So um, I saw on your on one of your websites, you had a, a 2018 commercial, and the, in that commercial... There was a, a picture of you talking about you working with uh, uh, some experts on on the coastline, and I, I what what I was curious about is, um, yeah, I thought it's great to to see someone in legislator physically out somewhere, seeing things firsthand, obviously. And I was more curious specifically about your personal interactions with these these experts that are telling you all of these things that are happening to our coast, so that they can then. Go to you and you provide new bills to help. Uh, I think you one of the things you helped uh, introduce was a ban on plastic bags. Right? Well, I did that here in the county of Santa Cruz. Okay. And so, but a, a lot of this with your interest in, in um, what was, I can't remember the exact term that I had written down. You're, oh yeah, you're an environmental champion, right? So you, you have a care for the environment. I, That's one of your interests, right? Yes. And, right. and the, so, the three things that I went to the legislature to try to do in the first place back in 2012 was as a, the foster care system, and we've done some major reforms there. Right. Second was the the justice system. So we've been doing a lot. I've been doing a lot of work around prison reform, and the third is environmental and especially coastal. So since then, I put together a select committee. Now a policy committee analyzes and votes on policy. Select committees are information gathering bodies, and I've had a select committee on coastal protection and in access to natural resources because we've been looking at access issues and threats to our coastal resources and coastal environment. So I've been working there. I also sit on the California's Ocean Protection Council, which is an executive agency that is charged with protecting the ocean mm-hmm. and looking for better ways to implement policy to protect ocean resources. And we've, through that, been looking at questions like ocean acidification and sea level rise, aquaculture, fisheries protection, any number of things in the marine environment. So that's been a, a real issue of mine and a, and a bit of a, a passion is to make sure that we're being better than we have right. been, being as good as we can with respect to the ocean. And you don't have to look further than Monterey to Monterey Bay to start to understand right. what's at stake. 50 years ago, Monterey Bay was dying, dying. Fish were leaving the, the the habitat was failing. It was not. It was headed on a trajectory of being a mess. People started to recognize that, and through a lot of conservation efforts and a lot of political will, we put together a series of policies that had now let it recover. And the species that are there, the systems are a little bit different than it had been that 50 years ago, Mm -hmm. but it is absolutely thriving. So as a microcosm, the Monterey Bay is an excellent example of a system that had been polluted, been overtaxed, overfished. It had been, it was a mess and headed for a complete collapse. That turned around. And we now have one of the most significant biodiversity hotspots in the world is right out in our backyard. 
our front yard, if you want yeah. to think about it that way. I like to think about it that way. People come from all over the world to see it. And those who know, which should hopefully be everybody here in Santa Cruz County, those who know recognize the how valuable that is and what an incredible turnaround that has represented. Uh-huh. So we need to be constantly looking at water quality, both in the ocean and water that's coming into the ocean. We need to be constantly looking at habitat, ocean chemistry, warming effects that are that are coming, how the, the ocean interacts with with the coastline, we are constantly needing to look at those kind, those issues to ensure that we maintain this absolute jewel, this world-renowned yeah. jewel that that is our backyard. The Pacific Ocean, and this includes the Monterey Bay, the northeastern Pacific, which is off our coast, Washington, Oregon, and up towards Alaska, scientists call it the Serengeti of the oceans. Because people think of the Serengeti as being this incredible, which it is, incredible place with all this diversity and wildlife and everything sort of functioning. Our ocean is better than that. Our ocean here has more biodiversity, more wildlife, more density of life than, as far as I know, any other ocean, and this is off our shore, in the world because of a number of factors, including the way currents run, temperatures, and all that. Yeah. Monterey Bay is that that window out into that environment, which is why we have the whales and we have other very large, amazing marine mammals, blue whales and orca whales, including all the the pinnipeds, seals and sea lions, elephant seals, which are incredible creatures. And then all of the fishery that are out there, the various fishes that that come and go, which are feeding the larger mammals Mm -hmm. that are out there, that it takes an entire column of the the food chain to support all of that. So it's an astonishing place here. So one of the things I wanted to work on going to the legislature, which I had worked on locally, is making sure that we are doing everything we can to protect, manage, and maintain our oceans and our coastal resources. Awesome. So when you're putting together this select committee, what are you doing to make that happen? Are you calling people, you're looking for specific experts who know yeah. ocean chemistry and yeah. ocean biology. So, And you're you're calling them to say, hey, I, I could use your help. Yes. And and it's a, may not be surprised to learn, but science in politics isn't always very successful, unfortunately. We're saying that certainly on the national level. Yeah. <laughs> but the select committee is a way of bringing that science into policymaking. So we've had, we've held hearings on Structural issues like access, sand supply, uh, various things like that. We've also looked at oil spills, oil spill response, threats. But we've used the select committee also to bring in some of the science and the details that organizations like Ocean Protection Council are working on to talk about uh, the hypoxia and the the changing ocean chemistry, the, the acidification. So we're using the select committee to talk about those issues, our access to it, our enjoyment of it, what the coast looks like, but also the threats to it, whether the onshore threats from water runoff, from agricultural uses or other pollutants that that come down into it, as well as looking at the changes that are happening in the ocean and starting to ask the questions, what can we as Californians do about this? What should we be doing about this? And how do we take steps to protect and manage this environment on into the future? For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What to Be at KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. 
I'm Jacob Shecken, and today we're speaking with Mark Stone, the Assembly Member of the Monterey Bay Region. We would like to remind our listeners that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Future is Our Business. Information provided during this program does not necessarily reflect this career in its entirety. When you transferred into, into policy, what was something that you wish you knew about ahead of time? Uh, that's an interesting question. I, the, I guess as someone who's always been a bit of a learner and, and a bit of a sponge just trying to absorb, I don't think I've worried about what I haven't known. What I worry about or, or what, what drives me is what I am learning and what, how, how I can do a better job moving forward. Mm-hmm. I do think back to having been on a school board without the political experience that I have now, and sometimes, oh, if I knew then what I know now, about communicating and, and talking to people, communicating out of what, what we tend to do, could have done a better job there. I'm a policy person. I hate, oh, I hate the politics. I do not do well <laughs> the politics. I don't like campaigning. Um, I, I'll do it. That's fine. But I very much like being a policymaker, having the authority and the ability to change policy, to make decisions, to hear from constituents and help solve problems for them. That part I enjoy. And when I do a lot of this, get fourth graders to come up to Sacramento, or I'll go into fourth grade classes or high school classes. There's a group out of Monterey called Girls Inc. And take high school girls and trying to educate them on broader perspectives of, of what options are for them. And, and they asked me to come in and talk about politics and talk about how to get into, maybe not how to get into these positions, but but the impact on standing up for and being a voice for your community. And when they come up to Sacramento, I ask them, and this probably always gets me in a little bit of trouble, because I'll meet with them in a committee room. And instead of sitting in the audience, we'll talk, they'll sit, there'll be a bunch of girls, sit and talk to them in the audience. But what I really like doing, if we have the time, is to get them to go sit up in the committee chair. And my message to them is, it's not going to work for all of you, but I want you to think of yourself in that chair. Because if you don't, you will never consider a job as a policymaker. But if you, from that vantage point, can say, can think to yourself, oh, I can see myself here. I can see myself, regardless of, of everything else, taking that responsibility, being willing to make policy decisions, listening to the public, taking complex issues, trying to boil them down, negotiating, advocating, and putting together policy. I can see myself in that chair, much more likely to eventually be in that chair. And out of a room of 60, maybe only a handful would ever consider that. But that's hopefully more than would have considered it before. Right. Getting, and especially young women, the, the statistics show that young women, women usually need to be asked seven times before they're going to run for office. Right. And a guy, you don't even need to suggest it. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do that. Right. The level of confidence in most, most of the women I talk to that, well, I don't feel qualified. Well, and as you know, guys don't worry about feeling qualified. They'll just jump. What's one of the reasons that we, we, the numbers are not good with respect to diversity in the legislature. So especially for the girls, I really encourage them to think about themselves in that position, to not worry about, do I know enough? Because nobody else is asking you that question. Yes, you do, in fact. All it takes is a willingness to step up, 
to want to be a part of it. And to be an elected official, fine, or not. But to be involved in governance and be involved, there are a number of different roles that can be that that are necessary for for governance of, of any of these bodies. Again, water districts or sewer districts or school districts, cities, counties, even the legislature. And the first step is imagining yourself in that role of wanting to add some value to your community in a slightly different way and being willing to do the work necessary because policy is a long slog. It doesn't, because it's controversial oftentimes, because there are different points of view, you have to be a little bit patient. You have to be a bit of a negotiator. You have to be willing to look ahead and kind of pick your victories along the way with always the longer term goal in mind. And that's how most policy ultimately gets done. So think of yourself in that position. Get excited about, yes, I can do this for my community. And you can. There real there are no other I, I did have legal training. That does help to a point. It helps me understand some things. Most legislators don't have legal training. My legal training allows me to chair the Judiciary Committee because I know something about that. I have three members on that committee who are not lawyers. And the the interesting thing part about that is the lawyers get talking with the jargon and we sort of know what we're talking about, we think. <laughs> and one of the non-lawyers will say, well, now, wait a minute, what about? And I'll have to say, well, I think, oh, gosh, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about it that way. Or in my explaining, like your question about torts, well, we, we can talk glibly about torts. And somebody who's a non-lawyer says, wait, wait, explain to me a tort. Okay, now I have to stop. I have to step back. Change perspective. Change perspective. Think through what I wanted and able to be able to articulate it better. We get better policy that way. So everyone has input. Everyone has a role that they can play and a perspective that they bring. And it is that plethora of experience and perspective that brings value to the policy question. So is there... I, in the last, I swear, eight minutes or so, anytime I came up with a question, you had an answer it f answer for it. And the next, you've just, I, I, all my questions are, like I said in this last third, about trying to provide advice for, for students and really anyone looking to get in here. And you've, you've, you've helped me a lot. Well, yeah. And, and, and for students, one of the things that I thought about, our kids are 28 and 26. And what I would tell them is as you go through life, you're closing doors. Every decision you make closes a door if you think about it. I mean, it's a little more optimistic to think about opening doors. Right. But the, the way I think about it is as you go, especially through high school, all the doors are open, all of them. You have, you can take any door you want. But as you pick a job out of high school, as you pick a college, as you pick a major, as you pick a direction, there are doors that are closing. There are things that I look back on that I could have done and didn't, and now at this point probably ever will. So I don't mean it quite as pessimistically as that, but doors do close. Your job as a, as I told my kids as a student, especially through high school, is to keep doors open as much as possible. When our daughter went to Lewis and Clark and a lot of her cohort were her friends, knew exactly what they wanted to do when they went to college, and it worried her. And I went up there for the orientation and was talking to one of the professors. And I said, yeah, she's worried about that, that, that she doesn't know exactly what she wants to do. And the professor said something that really changed my perspective on this. And I think it was very healthy. He said, she's further ahead than her friends are. Because if you've decided what you want to do, and it's fine and it may work out, but that means you are now discounting 
other possibilities. And the whole point of a college experience, whether it's community college or a four-year school, or going to a trade school, or going to, to whatever it is your next step is, the whole point is, is to be open to other experiences, open to a shift and a new direction. Some kids are not good at that. They want to know exactly what they want to do, and they're bent on that. Fine. But for a lot of kids, especially 18, 19, 20, who are not sure, that will, if you don't know what your passion is, that will allow you to find your passion because you're willing to, to explore things you hadn't even thought about. So that's what I mean. Keeping doors open. Don't intentionally close doors as long as you can help it because you never know which ones you're going to then be stepping through. Mr. Stone, Assembly Member Stone. Mark. Mark. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Sure. I really appreciate it. And thank you to all of our KSQD listeners for tuning in to today's career story. I'm Jacob Sheckman, and you're listening to our show, What to Be, with today's guest, Mark Stone, the Assembly Member of the Monterey Bay Region. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, send us an email at whattoberadio at gmail.com. If you enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM K-Squid Santa Cruz at 7 p.m. on Sundays or stream online at ksqd.org. Thank you for listening.